the latest social Baker report, uh, one championship did rank number eight all over the world across global sports properties in terms of being the most engaging uh, property on Facebook. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Tom Salomes. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have Nearika Singh, Head of Product and Tech for One Championship. One Championship is a Singapore-based mixed martial arts, Muay Thai and kickboxing promotion, which was launched in 2011 by entrepreneur Shatri Sitiyodong and former ESPN Star Sports Senior Executive Victor Koo. It's Asia's largest global sports media property with a broadcast to over 2.6 billion potential viewers across 150 plus countries. Neorika leads the digital strategy for the company across its owned and operated assets. An ex-McKinsey consultant, she found her true calling in building and scaling businesses when she joined Trebo, a travel tech company startup in 2015. She's worked across strategy, revenue and product in her previous stints and is excited by the possibilities that technology and digital platforms bring to all three of those verticals. At One Championship, she is leading the charge on revolutionizing the way fans interact with the company and helping build the One Super app into the most loved sports app in the world. Before we get into the interview with Nia Rika, I thought I'd mention that you can find show notes on sportstechfeed.com and also subscribe to the Sports Tech World Series newsletter on sportstechworldseries.com. Down the bottom, there's a sign-up area there. We send you a weekly email, so we're not overwhelming your inbox, but it does give you the kind of digestible version of what's happening in the world of sports tech. Uh, So some of the most newsworthy articles that are happening, uh, some deep dives, and then obviously links to this podcast so you can stay up to date with everything that's happening there. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, uh, happy to continue the conversation with our listeners, uh, either on LinkedIn, Thomas Alomes, or you can email me directly, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. I'll be back at the end of the interview to share a few final thoughts, but for now, here is Nia Singh, Head of Product and Tech for One Championship. Niharika Singh, Head of Product and Tech at One Championship. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thank you. So I, I tried to do a little bit of justice in my introduction to what One Championship is, but I really think that's a fantastic uh, starting point for a lot of our listeners to, to understand really what is this, this vast entity um, that exists in, in Asia and, and may not be into the, into the consciousness of um, a lot of our guests, uh, sorry, a lot of our listeners in, in Western Europe. It'd be great if you could give us a bit of an overview before we dive into it all. Sure, absolutely. So uh, One Championship, like you pointed out, is a sports media property and the sport we're anchored on is martial arts. We are today Asia's fastest growing sports media property across sports. And uh, of course, in Asia, we have more than 90% market share when it comes to martial arts itself, even in terms of the entire world. So while one championship, of course, a nine-year-old company is headquartered in Singapore, and we do have a very large presence in Asia, like I mentioned, we're actually uh, a truly global sports property. We broadcast to about 150 plus countries. Uh, We have fans all over the world. In fact, uh, on my app, the One Super app, uh, interestingly, uh, we have US, UK, and Australia as one of our top five markets. So uh, we're truly, truly global. Of course, we haven't thrown an event overseas yet in the West, but our fan base and the athletes we have are actually from all over the world, which really helps make it more of a global appeal. I think the other bit about One Championship that is 
quite interesting. So of course, you know, it comes across as this behemoth, which is huge and we have millions of fans and there are a lot of eyes on it. But I think what's most interesting is the thread that holds everybody associated with one together, whether it's the employees, it's the athletes, it's anybody who works in partnership with us, which is that while on the surface, we're a sports media property, what we want to do at the very core is is much more powerful and has way more purpose to it. So if you've ever come across our mission statement as such, what we really want to do is ignite the world with hope, dreams, and inspiration. And we want to do it through the power of values, heroes, and storytelling. So while sport might be our anchor, we're essentially a storytelling organization. And uh, we've, we've made large efforts in this direction, of course. And right from the content we produce to how our matches come across, to how our athletes speak to each other, to, to everything that we really put out, uh, it's values, heroes, and stories. That's the anchor. And if I was to wager a guess, I would say the reason why in nine short years, one championship has come so far is because irrespective of race, religion, gender, age, which country you live in, uh, whether you're five years old or 80 years old, I think everybody relates to values. Everybody understands heroes and everybody likes stories. So yeah, so that's really what we're doing. And sport, of course, is our crown jewel right now. Yeah, and the context of martial arts is is that it's, um, I know the founder talking about it, talks about it's actually an expression of values. It's about discipline. It's about hard work. It's about... Right you know, reward for effort. It's all that kind of stuff. It's not um, uh, like a, a kind of cliched view of martial arts in the sense of someone just right. punching someone in the face and the other person falls over. It's more that concept of, well, it's about restraint. It's about training. It's about the respect. It's all that kind of stuff that feeds into it. Um, which is instilled in, in, in fact, yeah, sorry. But, you know, in, in fact, uh, if you look around and I was in the US earlier this year and I was having a few conversations and in Asia specifically, uh, I think every third or fourth degree connection of yours would either practice martial arts themselves or send their kids to practice martial arts. But it's, it's, it's a great workout, of course, in the amateur area, but it's a lot about discipline and exactly some of the values you mentioned. So it is the world over in terms of trend of martial arts itself. It, it's been booming because families and children and parents are really relating to its value outside of just having to go and play a professional match. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you connect with those fans? Like what, what do you use in terms of um, digital and, and technology, um, either channels, you know, tools, um, strategies? How do you actually connect with that global fan base? Sure, sure. So we do have various platforms and assets to connect with fans digitally. And uh, I think our own tech journey, which is our own engineering team and you know the product and tech team we have in-house, that's been pretty recent. We operate more like a startup within a larger startup. And that journey has been about one and a half, two years. Uh, so, and we do already have a one championship app out there, uh, which has obviously content pieces, but in uh, recent times, we've tried to bring more of a holistic value proposition to fans. So we do have a fantasy game uh, that we launched in association with our events that we do. We do have uh, a few games on the app as well now. Uh, some are in the works, but we do have a hyper-casual game out there on the app. Uh, we also have a weekly like quiz cadence that we're starting. And uh, more recently, we also 
realize that what fans really want to see is like nonstop content out there. So we launched One TV, which is more of our 24 by seven nonstop martial arts action, right? Uh, it, it has like our best bouts and plays nonstop. So anytime a fan does want to watch something one, they can just fire up the app and it's right there. So these are some of the ways in which, and of course this is just the beginning, like I told you, it's early stage startup mode for us within the product tech team at one. Uh, but these are some of the ways in which we are uh, engaging with fans on our own assets. But besides this, I think, I think in terms of digital itself, we've we've made large strides on digital social platforms. So uh, you know, the first four or five years of the company, of course, we're all about getting our core product right, which is our stadium product. And I think we've done an exceptional job at just the look and feel and the experience of our live sports. Uh, but after that, I think uh, what we've really, really done well at is just our presence on digital social, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, now TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, in fact, as per uh, the latest social Baker report, uh, one championship did rank number eight all over the world across global sports properties in terms of being the most engaging uh, property on Facebook. So uh, I think I think what really helps us connect with fans, whether it's on our own digital platform or it's on a third party digital platform is, uh, is that ability to be extremely fan centric. So people working on this are themselves diehard fans of martial arts, right? And you really, really need to understand who your fan is and ensure that everything you do is fan first. In fact, we often say internally, we are not a platform first business. We are a fan first business. So we do not wish to push our fans to go to certain platforms because we want them to go there we'd rather be present where they're present and ensure that the offering we have for them across platforms is something that they would like and engage with so in terms of data is that so that's as you mentioned facebook TikTok, twitter youtube um, right. you know instagram and then your mm -hmm. own app mobile forwards so is it one of those things that you are not adding particular weight to either uh, whatever channel or medium, it's just more you, that you do connect with the fan. It's kind of coming to where they are rather than trying to drive them towards one particular area. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, of course, you know, our own app gives us the power to more deeply understand fans because yeah. we can study user behavior way better. But that said, um, and I often have these conversations with our media rights team and the team that leads our partnership with Facebook, YouTube, we're not competing with any of those external platforms, right? The only way we think we can succeed as a company is if we broaden the pie, right? We increase the pie rather than have a small pie of, okay, we have so many fans and each platform, our own app versus Facebook versus YouTube are fighting for who gets that fan. That's not true. One, our fan base is massive and it's increasing. And the second bit is, our fans are present everywhere. Tomorrow, if I launch an app, they will not stop being on Facebook, right? They will not stop yeah. being on you. I, I think what would be successful in championship is how do you find more and better ways of engaging with your fans and how do you really uh, you know, create your value proposition in a way that each platform has its own unique proposition that serves its own purpose of why fans engage with you there. But overall, it's about building this 360 degree uh, platform around fans and to be able to give them something on every platform. 
uh, at the end of the day, it's about how top of mind you are for them and are you able to um, benefit them? Are you able to give them what they want? Uh, so yeah, that that's our objective. So it's never a battle for, uh, you know, infighting between our Facebook yeah. team, team yeah. or even amongst the various social platforms we are present on. I think each of them has their own unique proposition, and yeah. and that has worked well for us. And I think it's going to be critical for us to maintain that going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think there's something that's, um, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it a movement or whatever it is, but it's pushing towards um, first party data and and owning right. data um, for sports teams and leagues is going direct to the consumer, direct to the fan and being able to, to own that channel, which um, makes sense a lot of times in a broadcast context um, in right. terms of personalization, things like that, but doesn't always make sense in terms of social because of things, as you mentioned, each platform has its own um, right. own appeal. And the reason I'm on Instagram is yeah. not purely for my football team. Um, although I, I watch all their content when I'm on there, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's that, the social element, it's, it's all the things that make social media platforms so successful and so appealing. Um, and it's just putting your team and your league or whatever it is, uh, your property at the, at the heart of that experience. So, uh, I mean, following on from that, you've recently announced a strategic, strategic partnership with Microsoft to accelerate and transform the digital fan experience. Can you speak a bit more to that partnership? What are some examples of, of how that'll be used and I guess also how that partnership came about really. Sure. So before I get into, uh, you know, Y1 and Microsoft, let me uh, begin by telling you why technology and digital have been extremely critical to one championship, even before the pandemic struck and every company started thinking digital. Uh, we began thinking of digital, like I said, you know, uh, one and a half years ago or so. and what really made us pause and think and start investing very heavily in digital and tech was the realization that we might actually be in a very unique position to build the world's first digital first sports property. And the reason I say that is twofold. The first is, like I mentioned, uh, just given our global appeal, we do have a lot of fans spread around the world. And out of those millions of fans, about 70% of them are Gen Z or millennial, right? So we have a very young fan base and, and they have high affinity for digital and tech. For us, it's almost like if we are not on digital and tech, we might lose those fans at some point, right? The second thing, uh, the second factor is, again, the fact that we vertically own all of our IP. We have vertical ownership of IP across the stack, right? From our production capabilities to the content we create, to our athletes, to our own tech team being in-house, et cetera, and so on, which gives us a lot of degrees of freedom to take our capabilities and very quickly put them into digital assets or digital platforms. So combining these two factors, the first is millions of millennial and Gen Z fans, and second, having the flexibility because of vertical ownership of IP, uh, we can do a lot in digital and tech. And uh, the moment this realization struck us, we, uh, we really wanted to accelerate our efforts there. Uh, and this was pre-pandemic, right? Now what the pandemic has done, of course, has accelerated it even more. Yeah. But we were extremely serious about digital and tech before that. And, and as we went back to the whiteboard and started drawing out our strategic direction for digital, um, we realized that we would be 
heavily relying on innovation and thought leadership because that's what the company is about as well. And uh, you know, as we went about that, we we found a very like-minded partner in Microsoft. So it was more an organic association that very quickly the both the sides realized could become extremely powerful. For us, of course, it is about leveraging uh, the technical capabilities that Microsoft has invested in. It's, it's like one of the global leaders in that space. And uh, for, for Microsoft, it just gives them a very, very massive audience across the world to portray their capabilities, right? To, uh, to have impact. So both the companies are heavily aligned on having impact at the end of the day. And that's what makes us very like-minded. Uh, and hence we, pursued this partnership. Now the partnership in itself, uh, it's just the beginning now. Uh, it, it is meant to be a long-term partnership, right? So it's not like a one-year sponsorship brand exchange, mm. you let slap logos kind of a thing. You don't, uh, get, a, you is, don't get a bunch right? of sur surface tablets and a few right. logo spots and then Right. And then it's done. Yeah, we had um right. we had uh, Mike Downey, who's the head of Microsoft Sports, um, right. uh, on the show, and he's talking about the NBA deal. In a right. similar respect, it was it was right. the NBA in terms of innovation agenda, right. and Microsoft in terms of what they're trying to do, meeting his exactly. equals and being able to um to do that. So right. definitely understand the long term play. Sorry, I interrupted you there. The the, no, the nature no. of the, the nature of the deal and and some examples would be fantastic. Sure. Sure. So like I mentioned, it's a long-term strategic uh, deal. And uh, what that means is we haven't even foreseen what all we'll do three years down the line, right? So we have some immediate projects we've been brainstorming on and want to execute. But the idea is more to work very closely together uh, and also leverage the Global Sports Innovation Center that Microsoft incubated and which has been doing a lot of good work with the likes of FIFA and La Liga. But that's also a thought leadership engine. And uh, you know, we, we have a lot of joint sessions. So it's also about powering innovation in sports, irrespective of which sport it is. But more specifically for one, uh, you know, to start off with, as, as you know, just the video consumption patterns around the world are changing, right? Things are no longer just passive consumption. There is more interactivity. There is more engagement from remote fans. And so getting our entire media streaming and uh, you know, viewing experience is something we're going to be working with Microsoft on. Uh, the second bit is we're actually uh, going to be leveraging the entire Azure cloud, uh, not just from our app architecture point of view, but also from a data lake point of view. Like you were alluding to earlier, I think one of the primary benefits of having your own platform is you just have the power uh, to be able to look at user behavior data and just get greater insights on what works and hence build a highly personalized experience. So we will be working with Microsoft on data lake and our data capabilities because in the long run, like for every business and not just sport, um, deeper the understanding of your fans, the more insights you can draw, uh, the better your offering would be. And that obviously means in a fan first world, uh, if we can give literally in the extreme situation every single fan exactly what they want customized to what they want I, I think we'll have a good business so yeah so that's that's the short-term bit of it and then in the long term like i said i think the partnership will evolve and it'll be a very true authentic integration yeah definitely i think that um that personalization is key that's for me is probably something that is emerging as a key trend in 2020 right. is um as as everyone's shifting to, to digital or doubling down as in the case of 
um, someone like one championship that was already ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, this this shift and this change in consumption habits and and really expectations like fans expect to be able to have this personalized experience um, customized experience not just in in what they watch but how they watch it when they watch it where they watch it in terms of a mobile first platform so that for me has been a big 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 key thing um, and some exciting stuff obviously Microsoft with Azure and machine learning and all the other um, right. Kind of really interesting, uh, deeper tech stuff that I don't fully understand, but I understand <laughs> enough of to uh, uh, like uh, appreciate the um, the potential it has. So, launching off from that, you said Microsoft relationship. Who knows where it's going to go? Because you're both trying to kind of crystal ball and see what's next, and say on that forefront of innovation. Is there is there something that you hope to see evolve in the industry in terms of um, innovations within digital and technology in, in sports? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, in fact, we often joke around in our own product and tech team. We have so many ideas that I think we have a roadmap set for the next three years and nothing can come in between. But, you know, on a serious note, there is a lot happening in the sports tech world and you've only seen more of it happening in the last six months uh, because of COVID, of course. But I, I think in, in you know, bouts and sports, there was a lot of talk happening about the role of digital in sports. And I think for all sports IP owners, whether it's football or it's tennis or it's martial arts, even us, I think the key and uh, in, the, in the football game world, it was more like, how do we engage the fans outside of those 90 minutes, right? Uh, because there are only so many events you will hold, right? And of course, in a perfect world, there would be a live uh, match with your IP every single day. But outside of that, and even otherwise, how do we find ways to uh, keep fans engaged? Uh, you know, because clearly sports is one area where customer loyalty, if I might call it, is extreme. These are fans, right? That's why the word fans, we never say users because they genuinely feel for the sport they're watching, they genuinely feel for the athletes and, and the sports promotion. So there is a lot of ownership, if I might say, and I think it would be a disservice for any sports property to not find creative ways to ensure that the sports fan keeps feeling engaged even when there is no live event happening. And um, I, I think in terms of trends, there are, of course, a lot of things I hope for which are more immediate and roadmap relevant. But I think, uh, I think what I would talk about rather is a couple of trends that I see emerging uh, in the industry, especially maybe in the next 12 months or so. Um, the first, for lack of better words, <laughs> I'll just call it the democratization of fandom. And what I mean by that is you know how in the past, largely sports properties have put in a lot of effort and energy into getting the experience in a live match, right? Which is highly anchored on the fans who make it to the stadium, right? And uh, that, that's been the aspiration for fans. Can I get a seat? You know, people flying across the world for that stadium experience. Yeah, it's, and it's, and ex it's, it's exclusive and exclusionary in, in just by the nature of a limited amount of seats. Exactly. Economics 101 is a limitation. Exactly. It's going to drive the um the price up. That there's yeah. a there's a shortage and and yeah, who can physically get there and then who can afford to 
to be there. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's interesting you bring that up because, you know, say sports properties have millions of fans around the world. They did have only 10,000 to 50,000 typically in the stadium. And yet most of the effort actually went into making that experience great, which is good, right? Uh, but uh, the experience for the rest of the fans is 99% of your fan base was mostly limited to them watching uh, the experience on broadcast or OTT or digital devices, doesn't matter, but it was basically them watching the event. Um, what has happened now is that because that 10,000 to 50,000 people are also not there because of COVID and lockdowns, suddenly all eyes are on, we need remote fan engagement, right? So actually in percentage wise, nothing much has changed because your 99% of fan base was outside the stadium anyway. Uh, but making it the 99 to 100 has suddenly caught everybody's attention. And now there is uh, so much talk around how do we make the remote viewing experience, even when sports returns with closed doors, how do we make the remote viewing experience uh, much more powerful, much more engaging. And I think that's going to hugely benefit fans, like every fan. And that's why I call it the democratization of fandom, because now it doesn't matter if you're a fan watching from anywhere in the world, you can be sure that sports properties would be investing time and dollars in ensuring that your experience is not just limited to viewing, but can be made more interactive. The second trend that um, I, I think will emerge and I think there is par in that business model is a cross-sport platform play. Uh, what I mean by that is the moment you introduce digital interactiveness and digital engagement, right? Uh, you're suddenly opening up uh, the chances for a platform to be built across sports. And let me uh, give you an example of this. For example, there are a lot of startups recently that have been trying to uh, you know, get the remote fans' voice into the stadium broadcast, right? So if it's a closed-door event, there are fans that can still uh, get their voice through apps, etc. right? You can hear actual authentic fan cheers in the stadium. Now, if I'm a business that's building that capability, why would I limit it only to martial arts, right? If I have, a, if I have that technology, I would make it a platform play so that, because fans are not just fans of one sport, typically. They do like yeah. a couple of right and the same fan can use the same platform to actually cheer across sports so uh, and similarly for any other digital interactive element that we build in so i do see potential for a lot of platform play across sports that could become a lucrative business model yeah, yeah definitely I, I think that goes to your point around um kind of the social media platforms and fans will will use whatever tools available um, and there'll be fans across different sports and, and, yeah, and yeah. also fandom, uh, if I can borrow the term to other parts of people's lives, um, right. it's probably not the same. Fans not quite the right word, but people have passions like they do right. for sports across different areas um, and I guess sports is really tapping into that passion. So right. if you can have a technology solution that fits seamlessly into the person's life and allows them to support as many passions or groups of passions as possible, then um, it's definitely a lot more valuable than something that's very siloed. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. We're, we're about up um, for today. I've just got one final question for you. What is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Okay. Um, so I, I, I would say I think... I think the most 
relevant one is um, if you if you remember that many years ago there were a lot of athletes, long distance trained uh, runners, and you know just short distance runners, and everybody was trying to break the record of the four minute mile. Yep. And uh, nobody could do it, and it was considered, in fact, that you would probably die if you tried to do it because your nervous system couldn't take it, etc. And then one fine day, uh, there was this. Actually, he he wasn't even completely professional, but Roger Bannister, yeah. uh, who was actually more like a neuroscientist, and he was also a runner, but he was running more out of passion, and he just wanted to prove that you could do the four-minute mile, and. Uh, one day he just ran it and and that broke all records of course but more importantly it made the world realize that this is not impossible and since then and by the way I think just a few months after he broke the record somebody else did as well and then now of course we have thousands of people who have run uh, the under four minute mile I, I think that's a very very uh, powerful moment in sports because uh, it, it's very relevant to business right um, we, we think of so many things as being impossible. And yet, when one person is able to achieve it, suddenly you see a lot of other people achieve it in a very short time after. Yeah. So it's more of a mental barrier. Same for startups, right? If one startup cracks uh, a particular area that was considered not possible uh, some years, maybe the same holds to aerospace, right? And, um, and then suddenly you see a lot of companies coming together and making that impossible happen in a very short time after. So for me, that that's definitely my favorite sporting moment. That's fantastic. I love that. I really love that. I mean, that's um, that's so true. And we spoke to Melanie Strong from uh, Next Ventures, and and one right. of her favorite moments was um, uh, the first woman to win an Olympic gold um, for right. the marathon. And that was a similar thing where they said women can't run a marathon because right. their organs all fall out or you know their head will explode or some other nonsense um and it was a similar thing and then they did it and they went oh wow they actually can and yeah. and, and went on to break records and all that kind of stuff and it's just that um that's probably more of a societal issue than a than a kind of mental breakthrough because it was certainly yeah. women that knew they could run marathons before that but the roger bannister example is um is fantastic and i'll try and um i'll include a, a bit of a link to that if people don't know the story sure. um yeah. To, yeah to kind of get informed on that. So thank you so much for your time, uh, Nia Rika. That's been a, a fantastic session, really interesting to hear about one championship and, and looking forward to, to seeing what you're doing um, and how you grow. And, and I have suspicions that it's going to be beyond the martial arts beginning, obviously, but I'm, I'm pretty curious and pretty excited to see where um, we're, one championship takes it globally thank you thank you so much for having me again thomas and yeah i look forward to a lot of exciting things as well and i hope to cross paths with you again you take care and there you have it that was niharika singh head of product and tech for one championship really interesting the process they're going through uh, transitioning from a talent and event focused organization to a digital first organization so Obviously, it defines itself as a sports media property that focuses on martial arts rather than a martial arts property that has, uh, you know, sports media is, is the way that it essentially earns revenue. So I think it's interesting um, that its its business model is focusing more on the content and the IP. Um, that makes it asset light. And then it enables to do many uh, activities in those different verticals. And of course, 
reach so many different fans. I think the point around it's good to know who your fans are. I mean, first-party fan data is is an incredibly um, important, um, I guess, approach and, and, and having that and, and owning the fan, uh, but also realizing that the tools that are out there in terms of social media channels um, it can be fairly agnostic in the sense of if you are servicing your fan, you're meeting your fan where they are, you are fitting into their life and, and being part of it, um, then that's that's the first step um, to, I guess, earning the uh, the first party data from them. So really interesting stuff there. Um, we've had some great interviews in the last few weeks. If you've missed any of them, uh, Patrick Ward last week from the Seattle Seahawks, uh, fantastic kind of journey from studying jazz guitar and now leading uh, all of the research and data development for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so his kind of personal journey there and also how he applies creativity to the capture and the analysis of data. Also in the past few weeks, we had Andrew Shannon from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta United, uh, AMB Sports and Entertainment. Uh, really interesting about talking about the return to play and basically how do you safely get fans back into a stadium. Uh, so that's a great one about two weeks ago. And Melanie Strong talking about investment in this, these different areas uh, in, in terms of uh, fitness and health tech and, and what the pandemic's done to change the investment focus and also grow those areas. So all of those. Also, Nate Brookerson, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him. He was two weeks ago uh, from NC State talking about how he's helping his student athletes get fit for potentially a lost season. Um, but making sure that they're training and they're training appropriately uh, in the lockdowns and, and not being able to come onto campus. So lots of stuff that we've covered in the last few weeks. If you're new to the show, uh, check it out on iTunes, Spotify, however you get your podcasts. And we will see you back here next week on Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. I've been your host, Thomas Loans. Thanks for joining. 